This episode is brought to you by Vin Italy International Academy, the toughest Italian wine program. 1,000 candidates have produced 262 Italian wine ambassadors to date. Next courses in Hong Kong, Russia, New York, and Verona. Think you make the cut? Apply now at vinitalyinternational.com. Welcome to this special Italian wine podcast broadcast. This episode is a recording off Clubhouse, the popular drop-in audio chat. This Clubhouse session was taken from the Wine Business Club and Italian Wine Club. Listen in as wine lovers and experts alike engage in some great conversation on a range of topics in wine. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through italianwinepodcast.com. Any amount helps cover equipment, production, and publication costs. And remember to subscribe and rate our show wherever you tune in. Ciao ragazzi, ciao Giuseppe, ciao Angela. Ciao, ciao Stevie, ciao a tutti. Mi sentite bene? Sì, benissimo io. Ok, because last week we had a little bit of a technical issue here. So I want to welcome everybody to Italian Wine Club. And of course, as you know, we've been doing this for some time now. Uh, we have Laika, who, who is our backstage manager for Clubhouse. Ciao, Laika. Ciao, Stevie. So do you want to tell us about what episode is this? How long? Tell us a little bit. We'll do a little bit something different today. Tell us a little bit about the Clubhouse, what we've been doing here so that everyone's on the same page. Okay, so this is the 26th installment of our Clubhouse Ambassadors Corner. So the concept is when we we connect it's our Italian wine ambassador from our Italian wine community to their favorite producer. So in this in this segment, we have Giuseppe and Giuseppe Locascio has chosen Angela Maculan as his favorite Italian wine producer. Laika, why don't you introduce Giuseppe today? <laughs> okay, so, so Giuseppe is uh, from New York City, a native and he has spent all his life traveling between Italy and USA working in, as a wine importer and, and also in the wine distribution company industry. So having recently relocated to California, Giuseppe has founded Lucidity Wine Merchants, a boutique fine wine imports or wholesale company and vintners a direct-to-consumer platform where wine lovers can find the best artisanal wines made by the wine growers. So yeah. Excellent. Ciao, Giuseppe. Ciao, Stevie and Sean Laika. Thank you for, for having me. Listen, where, where are you now? So you moved to California? I have. Uh, we moved in the middle of the pandemic in June 2020, literally, but, you know, putting Why all our stuff Why did you do that? What's, are you going through, like, your midlife crisis? How can you move from New York <laughs> to California? Those are, like, two different worlds. Yeah, but you know, after 20 years in the city um, with my wife, uh, we were kind of uh, done with the uh, craziness. And, and trust me, New York during the pandemic was, uh, wasn't easy. And so um, my direct family is all in California. So we decided to come, come closer to, the, to my brother and my, and, my, and my dad, basically. Well, congratulations. I only realized that because I saw like, I think one of the social media feeds that you were hosting the Cavaliere di Taltufo, because I know you're one of the masters, right? Yes. 
yeah, so you, together with my wife. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You, you said that that's fantastic. I've known Giuseppe for some time now because he's actually participated at our first edition of Vinicius International Academy. He was kind of like our guinea pig. Do you remember that? Yeah, <laughs> that was fun. That was a lot yeah. of fun, actually. Uh, actually, per- the program has completely changed since. Um, by the way, if any one of the listeners out there, they are either interested in the buyer's program for Vinitaly or Vinitaly International Academy, we will probably doing, we are trying to, I, I don't know if Jacopo's here. I think Jacopo's around. He's our new coordinator for Vinitaly International Academy. We are going to, Nadine, you should do it. We are going to do, I see Nadine, you should do Vinitaly International Academy. I think we will be doing a session sometime in March in New York. Hopefully by next week, I'll have more information about that. So we are crazy enough to think about doing something for Vinitaly International Academy in New York in March. So I'll have more information about that. Giuseppe, of course, you've worked for Weinberg for 100 years with your uncle, and you know all the producers in the world, like so many Italian producers. Why did you choose Angela, Angela Macolan, as your favorite wine producer to be interviewed today? Well, it's actually kind of simple because Angela and I are basically the same age. We're just a few months apart. And we literally grew, kind of grew up together in the industry. Um, we know each other for 20 years. And oh, what I've so always admired, yeah, what I've always admired of the Maculan style is that they kind of transcend the appellation. No, they, they, they don't really can rely on, on, on a famous appellation. So uh, almost 40 years ago, maybe a little longer than that, Fausto had to kind of come up with uh, a, a way, a method to really make his wines meaningful. And he was one of the very first to actually put the name of the variety on the label, which if you think about it, Italy, 1976, 1978, uh, they were only drinking red or white. No one really cared about. And so, you know, this kind of purity, uh, this, this, this concentration, just focus on the varietal character for me, is something that I've always admired. And then, you know, Angela, we, we bonded right away uh, and, and, our relationship kind of uh, is, is beyond work and we, we became friends and uh, we kind of rely on each other and, and then that's basically it. So Giuseppe, let me get this right. First of all, you are now, you have several companies, right? Because I see, I'm a little confused. Tell me about your yeah. companies, the important companies. Yeah, you know, when I left Winebo, um, I wanted to stay in the industry, but uh, things in the US are, as you know very well, very, very challenging. So I figured, okay, let me just try to put my all my knowledge and expertise to work at the service of producers that really want to, to build their brands. And uh, at that time, you know, I, I knew the, the system, the, the entire three-tier system and all of that. And I said to many producers, listen, I think you're probably better off just focusing on few selected markets. Let me manage those markets for you. And basically, I set up uh, GLC Wine Selezioni Varietali as a consulting slash brokerage. And then, oh, okay. So that's the yeah, brokerage, that's, that's the, the GLC. Mm-hmm. Correct. And then um, COVID arrived. And, and at that time with Barbara, we were actually thinking about like opening a wine bar, wine wine store in California, which uh, you know, it's one of the states where you can combine those two things. Mm-hmm. And then with COVID, we kind of changed, changed our mind. At the same time, I was talking to my dear friend, Jacopo Di Teodoro, the owner of Artisanal Sellers in New York. And I said, Jacopo, you know what? Let's go back to what we know uh, best and what we know uh, and what we do best. And let's uh, set up uh, a new company. And in California, you can have three licenses 
bundled all together. So import, wholesale, and retail, online retail. And so in the middle of COVID, we said, let's forget import and wholesale. Let's, uh, let's try our end at uh, direct-to-consumers. And so we started Vintners. And then with the intention uh, eventually to actually do import and wholesale as well as soon as COVID permitted. And so in May 2021, we started Lucidity. And, uh, you know, I, I spent all my life in wine import and wholesale. For me, direct-to-consumer was a whole different thing to learn, even if I have an MBA and all of, all of that, it's, it was, uh, there was a pretty steep uh, learning curve, but uh, it, it has been a great, great experience, I have to say. And so basically, yeah, it's, it's three companies. Uh, they're connected in a way by me, obviously, but each of them as a separate end user, if you want. And, uh, and we were talking to three different people with those three companies. Okay, so I'm looking forward to all of your new adventures to learn more about that when I see you next. You're such a smart dude. I'm sure you will be successful in whatever you do. But tonight is dedicated to Angela Makulan. So, you know, we're kind of crazy about learning objectives. Tonight, what are we to expect from your call with Angela tonight? Uh, Again, uh, from a wine marketing standpoint, I've always admired the fact that Angela's father, Fausto, was able to distill in the Makulan family name and brand uh, a few very important values that are really transcending the trends. And so what I hope uh, is going to come across from this interview is, number one, the importance of that strategic long-term vision and how to really empower the family to carry on that legacy even through the generations. So those are the things that are really, really relevant in Italy because, as you know very well, I think the vast majority of wineries in Italy are family businesses. And so I think there are, are a lot of people in, in Angela's shoes that are either receiving the legacy and are tasked, tasked to carry over uh, over time all those uh, values and and, and, uh, and, and and the success over their family business. So that's basically what we hope is going to come across. Okay, great. So up to you. I'm going to give the mic back to you now, and I'm just going to grab a drink, and my favorite pod is just listening. And then I'll come back for, in the end, if there's some if there's some extra time for a Q&A. Okay? Ciao, ragazzi. Yeah. Ciao, grazie. Angela, uh, we speak uh, two or three times a week, uh, more or less. It's, it's, it's great to have you here. Um, if, if you like, I'll start again right away with the, with the questions. And I think it's important for everyone to have a little bit of a history about the Makulan winery. Uh, when did your father start making wine? Can you give us a little bit of that? Sure. First of all, thanks for having me here. It's always nice and it's always a big pleasure to talk a little bit and to explain our philosophy and our, the history of our winery since we are uh, known, but not from a very well-known and renowned uh, DOC area. So as you said, we, we did, my dad at the beginning did something very, very important for the area. So the history of our winery goes back um, some decades because uh, actually the winery was founded by my grandfather in 1947. Uh, my great-grandfather used to have a little osteria, a little restaurant, and he was making a little bit of wine for the osteria. But at that time, it wasn't the main business of the family. Uh, right after World War II, my grandfather Giovanni decided to build the winery and start making wine in bigger quantities. 
uh, even if it didn't have any vineyards. So it was just purchasing the grapes and making the wine, very cheap and low, very low quality in big bottles, uh, one liter bottle with the crown cap and in the big jars of the big damigiana. My father, Fausto, was the only son. So he was literally sent to Conegliano to study winemaking, where in Conegliano, where the Prosecco, original Prosecco di Ossigiaria is, there's one of the oldest uh, winemaking high school of Italy. And after he graduated, he arrived at the winery back. He came back to the winery and he decided he wanted to be different from before. So his official first harvest as a winemaker was 1973. And since then, he hasn't stopped yet <laughs> making wine. Of course, the first years were, have been pretty challenging. Um, it was a completely different market. It was a completely different world. It was a completely different wine world. Uh, but for my dad, Fausto has always been very, very clear that he wanted to be different from before. So he started using 750 bottles using natural corks, uh, labels uh, with, as you said, with the name of, of the variety in the, in the front label, uh, using the name of the vineyard. Um, he started traveling, going around and see what the other wineries were doing at that time. So Friuli, Piemonte, Toscana, France, of course. Uh, so both Burgundy and, and Bordeaux and bringing back to Braganza anything he could technology, winemaking techniques, uh, but the very, very big change arrived when he realized that if you want to make a top quality wine, you should start from a top quality grape. And the best way to have a great, a beautiful grape is to grow your own vineyards. So he rented vineyards and then with a little more money, he bought land and planted more modern vineyards. Today we have about 50 hectares, all in the DOCR of Breganze uh, that we directly manage. And we still purchase about 10, 15% of the grapes from farmers of the area that have been working with us for the last 20, 25 years. So they know exactly what kind of grapes we want. Um, I don't know if everybody knows where Breganze is. I don't know if that can be included in the, your question, but Breganze is a small DOC area right in the heart of Veneto. We are about one hour from Venice, one hour from Verona on the hills at the footstep of the mount of the Altopiano di Asiago. So the name of the province is Vicenza. And uh, Breganze is, uh, again, it's about 600 hectares DOC area with only 17 producers. Some are very small, some don't even have distribution outside the area. So this is the situation where we operate every day. Thank you, Angela. It's, I think it's important also to mention that in the middle of the 70s in Italy, wine consumption was basically connected to the wine for the table. So everyone was really drinking red or white and they didn't really care about what exactly was in the bottle. This is when some of the uh, classic uh, wines, uh, today they are considered classics like Tignanello or, or Sassicaia, they were starting to be noticed. So it's important that uh, to underline the fact that uh, Fausto had that kind of vision already early on. Did uh, Angela, did Fausto have any mentors? I, I believe he had a really good relationship with uh, Luigi Veronelli. What kind of influence did Luigi Veronelli have on him? So Luigi Veronelli is, was probably, um, probably changed the life of many wine producers uh, that were starting their career uh, in the 70s and 80s. 
um, because he was so basically Veronelli was just supporting and uh, um, and cheering for the little producers very connected to the soil and to the vineyard he understood that he was probably one of the first that was pushing and, underst and he understood that the great wine comes from the soil, from the land, from the vineyard, which it, this is something that today, I mean, we, we all know that if you want to make a good wine, you have to work hard, a very good managing of the vineyards, reduce the production and all this kind of stuff. But we have to think, as you said, it, that we, we were in the 70s, early 80s, with a completely different wine world and wine consumption and style of the wine. Uh, so definitely Veronelli was probably uh, one of the very important people that changed my dad's life. But all, not only my dad's life, but also I mean, many other wine producers that were emerging in that the time in the 70s and early 80s. Other than him, my dad has always been good friend and have good relationship with many other producers. Um, he was also really impressed by Emile Peinot. He, my dad went to the first edition of the Vin Expo in Bordeaux in 1981, and he met Emile Peinot at one of his uh, um, uh, lectures. And uh, he was really impressed by meeting him and having him tasting the wines and uh, getting suggestion from uh, from him on uh, on the production of wine. So if I could say these two, uh, maybe not mentors, but definitely very very important uh, um, pe people, and that changed the the way my dad was viewing the wine and making the wine. We we have mentioned Bordeaux many times. Um, what kind of influence did Bordeaux have on? On, on Falso, and I know that the influence is still present today because you have carried on with your style, keeping it consistent through the years until still today. Um, so what kind of influence did Bordeaux have on, on the way you wanted to make wine? So first of all, we have to say that in the area, traditionally, all over the northeast of Italy, if you are not in Verona, where they have, uh, where you will find the traditional grape for, that they use for Valpolicella, all over the northeast of Italy, the main grapes, uh, the red grapes, are Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot, a little bit of Cabernet Franc, and there's also some Pinot Nero. So uh, having Cabernet Sauvignon and Merlot in the vineyards, and these grapes have been grown here for over 150 years, so this is really what it's traditional for us. Um, of course, when you start learning how to make wine and you want to make, to, you aim to produce a top quality wine, where else can you go? <laughs> of course, Bordeaux is the place. Um, so my dad went there, he visited the vineyards, met the producers, met the winemakers, having them tasting our wines and tasting their wines. And of course, if you, if you want to compete uh, with them, or at least being in that, uh, you know, being one of their competitors, you have to learn from, from, uh, from the producers that make that kind of uh, top quality wine. Um, so Bordeaux, France in general, because there's of course Burgundy, but Bordeaux mainly has always big, had a big, big ins inspiration for us, always been, and still is. 
Um, so the vineyards, uh, we have about 12 hectares of high-density vineyards planted with 10,000 vines per hectare uh, because my dad saw them in Bordeaux. So in 1985, he started planting high-density vineyards. Uh, he, we started doing the punching down in the early 90s because he saw that they were doing pillage using barriques. But the first barrique my dad bought was in 1978. So all these, uh, all these things, you know, uh, are definitely come, definitely comes from an influence, a French influence for sure. Which makes sense, as you said, because of the, uh, the, the traditional, um, type of, 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 of grapes that we have, because we have in Braganza. So it really makes sense. If you could pick three words that you think have defined uh, Maculans when making since the early days and that they are still um, valid today, uh, what would you think? What would you say? It, it defines your style of 45 years ago as well as today. Wow. Um, definitely, uh, I can say that our wines are elegant, so elegance because uh, they, they are all a, a good mix between the strength and the fruit, but the elegance and the acidity. Um, the, our wines are true to the territory because, I mean, again, Cabernet Merlot have been here for so many years, but always with an eye to the world because we sell our wines all over the world. Um, and then the, I don't know if that makes sense in English, but our wines are straight. You know, they are true to their uh, characteristic. So if you taste the Cabernet, you, you can tell it's a Cab. If you taste the Merlot, you can tell it's a Merlot. They're all very, very clean and straight. I will uh, always remember the very first time I had a Maculan wine. It wasn't one of your reds. It was actually Ashley Nobili, which is the botrytis affected Vespaiola that you, you make every now and then. It's a dessert wine, obviously. Mm -hmm. But even then, and it was, I didn't know much about wine back then, and, and I was offered a glass from, by Leonardo, and he was meeting with your dad in his house in, in 1987, I believe it was. Uh, with, and, and I was there, you know, visiting, and uh, I remember the purity of the flavor. And I think that purity of the flavors is what is one of the many things that really defines Maculam as a, as a producer and as a style. Clean, pure, uh, very transparent, very uh, crystal clear uh, flavor profiles. And, uh, and, that, and, and that's something that I really admire. And the fact that uh, I like to say that. I think the way uh, your father Fausto cooks <laughs> speaks a lot about <laughs> the way he makes wine. I will never forget, uh, we made a spaghetti with Aragosta, spaghetti with lobster. And he said, Giuseppe, in life you only need two or three very simple ingredients and make sure uh, they are combined well and then everything you do is going to shine. And that was, uh, that was a, a great teaching that I got from your dad. And I think you, that applies to your winemaking as well. So listen, let's talk about you, because one of the things we want to talk about is uh, you and your sister, Maria Vittoria, are mm -hmm. the second, actually the fourth generation now. And mm -hmm. so you, you will have to carry on this legacy <laughs> going forward. So when did you start officially working at, uh, at the winery? So um, 
Wow, my official first business trip, because I'm in charge of sales and I'm the traveling smile of the winery, um, my first business trip was to New York, uh, the portfolio tasting organized by Winebob back in 1997. And I was underage, so I, it was illegal for me being behind the table <laughs> at that time. Uh, but I still remember everything of that trip. I spent two days in New York, two days in Washington, D.C., and then uh, back to New York for one more day. Um, so I was, I was 19, not, not even 20 yet. Uh, but since then, I have never stopped. Uh, so I've been traveling, again, for 20... Ooh, wow, getting old. Almost 25 years now. <laughs> um, oh, getting old. Yes. So um, that's my, that's my ro main role. I've always traveled about 100, 150 days a year. I'm in charge of the whole sale, so Italy, Europe, and, uh, and also the rest of the world. So I'm the only one that travels for the winery. And I've been doing uh, since 97. Um, then I became um, official, I mean, uh, one of the partners, one of the owners of the winery in 2007. And since then, I'm much more involved uh, also in other decisions um, here at the winery. Uh, when I'm home, I, I taste the wines with my dad and my sister. And, um, and I hope I can go back uh, on the road again soon. My sister, Maria Vittoria, she's younger than me. She graduated as a winemaker. She has always wanted to be a winemaker since she was a kid. And she graduated in 2007. So since then, she's working side by side with our dad in the winemaking and vineyard managing area of, uh, of the winery. So it's uh, the two of us and my dad uh, who supervise both of them, both of us. So you, you kind of split the responsibilities, but when, when it comes to big decisions, how does it work? How do well, you guys kind of come together all, you know, in a room and uh, tell us a little bit about the process because I'm sure there are a lot of people that will listen that are in your position. And we, you and I know that family business is great. Uh, and then it's also <laughs> very, 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 very difficult at one point because uh, it's all about balance and, and finding the right alchemy, I think, between all the members. So how, how did you guys manage this whole so, generational passage? So um, there are two things that I have to say. First of all, it's not, as you said, it's not always easy to balance the personal relationship uh, so with my sister and with my dad and the business relationship with my business partners it's not always easy um, when when it comes to big decisions uh, we all get together in a room and we discuss of course if it's a it's from a, it's from a sales perspective i will have the last word if it's a more technical uh, quest, um, subject my sister will have uh, the last word, the last decision. But, of course, we all discuss together. Then, of course, if it's an everyday decision, we don't need to do big meetings. <laughs> that's, uh, that's for sure. Um, the, other thing, the other thing I have to say, um, I really have to thank my dad because at one point in 2004, he decided to stop traveling uh, because... Uh, from my first trip in 97 all the way through 2004, we were both traveling, not together, but separate. But, you know, 
if you go to, I don't know, let's say to New York and you have a meeting with this buyer and then the next time my dad will go, the buyer doesn't have uh, just one person to as a reference from, uh, from the winery. So he said, okay, I'm not traveling. You will do everything. So I took over uh, of, the, uh, of the traveling part. And he didn't come to Vinitaly for three years in a row because he wanted all the buyers, all my importers, all our customers, that he wanted that they were talking to me and not just him. Because if we are together, if we are together, everybody wants to talk to him. He's the big guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so, I mean, of course, everybody wants to talk to Fausto and all these things, you know. So for yeah. three years, he didn't show up at Vinitaly. Um, he, of course, because I mean, you know him, uh, he called us uh, like 10 minutes after we left from, uh, from Bregance. So where are you? How is it going? Do you, is there traffic? Uh, so these kind of things, you know, always present, but not physically at the booth at Vinitaly. So, of course, people just started talking to me about discounts, about new vintages and all this kind of, you know, the kind of business agreement that you have, uh, that you do at, at Vinitaly. And then when he came back, because, of course, he can't stay home. So the following year, the fourth year of Vinitaly, he was back at the booth the full time, for full time. And uh, the importers were saying, no, I want to talk to Angela. So that was, <laughs> that was very nice. And I really have to thank my dad for, for doing this for me and for my career. So that really made a big, big change for me. And then Even I think... It's not easy to do that uh, as a, you know, founder in a way to really empower and then, you know, let people do their own thing. It, no, I, it's definitely not easy. Uh, also because my dad has a big personality. Um, but um, he said, you know, sooner or later, this generation change will happen naturally because that's, that's life. Uh, and he said, you know, it would be easier... If you go uh, with me be, being behind you just to kind of protect uh, and guide you, you know, from the distance. So this was the idea, uh, but definitely was not easy. That's, I think it's, a, it's an important thing. And I, and I hope uh, this would, uh, would inspire more, more founders to, uh, to, to, to move the same way. Um, Going back to the style, to the winemaking style, what do you think uh, is, not the secret, but what, what, what are you doing to make sure your style keeps current? Because you know very well, we are going through a lot of changes in the industry, but I always know that if I, I pick a Makulan bottle, I know what I'm going to taste and I know what I'm going to find. So how have you built this style and how are you going to keep this style consistent? Is it your values as a family? It's definitely our value as, as a family, as a winery, as a group, as a working together group. Um, as I said, our wines are, are clean, are pure, they are true to the variety, to the territory. Um, of course, the market is changing. The taste of the costume, consumer is changing, so we try to adapt uh, uh, our wines to the taste, but 
I mean, not following the trend because that would be too much, but always maintaining our characteristic and our purity, as you said, because I think purity is the perfect way to describe our wines and also ourselves as as, pe- as persons. Um, what do I mean by uh, adapting or following the, the, the market? For example, for Fratta, Fratta is our top red wine. It's a blend of Cabernet Sauvignon and Merlot. Um, we have always used the 100% new oak, new French oak. Now, in the last few vintages, we reduced the new oak using also second second usage oak because the market is going that way, uh, trying to harvest a little bit earlier to maintain the acidity and the elegance. So we're kind of, uh, yes, following a little bit the market. This is what we do for a living. So, <laughs> so this, is, uh, this is what, I mean... The wine is uh, wine is our is our life, um, so we we still want to express ourselves, our territory, but at the same time, so be true to ourselves, but also at the same time, try to a little bit follow the market, because at the end of the day, you have to sell the wine, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 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 small adjustment. Uh, without, yeah, I mean, diluting, it, without diluting your style, without diluting your identity. Oh, absolutely. I did a vertical tasting like last week, going back to the 80s with Fratta and both Fratta and the, and the dessert wines. And you can still recognize the style is always the same. The style is the same. Of course, there are a little bit of adjustment because like if we take Fratta, I, I pulled a bottle of Fratta 87. The alcohol, just the alcohol was 12.5. The current wow. vintage is 14.5, yeah. you know? Mm. So there's much more extraction and uh, much more body and, 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 and bigger. And, um, and, and so, but the style, again, the elegance, the acidity, the purity are, are there. So you can definitely find these things uh, throughout all the production. They either in the red wines or in the dessert wines, as you mentioned before. And, and uh, Angela, I, I'm sure you've heard this question many times, but going from 12% to 14 which, by the way, we are seeing everywhere. I mean, even here in California, Napa, I remember I came across uh, some classic Napa wines from the 80s, and they were 12.5. So do you think this is really because of climate change, or have you seen, especially in the last part of the harvest, a huge a bigger influence of the climate over the the the, uh, the vineyards. So there's of course this the 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 climate changing. Um, it's one of the reason. I remember when I was a kid, the harvest here in the area will never start before school. Any in Italy, school starts around September 10. So before start, the, 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 it was before the school and then the harvest. Now harvest starts the, the, the last week of August or the early days of September. So this really changed a lot. But if we are talking about the wine, it's the combination between the climate changing and the taste of the consumer, the style. Because if you produce a wine now with 12% alcohol, I'm not sure that people will like it because we, of course, we say alcohol because it's something that it's written on the label, so something you can uh, read. But 
14% of alcohol is made of so many things, you know, color, fruit, extractions, aroma, structure, complexity. It's not just alcohol. It has to be, I mean, everything has to be round and very well balanced. Yeah. And, and you know, we, we share the same taste and, and we kind of grew up together in this interest, so we, we mm-hmm. totally are on the same page. That being said, one of the trends I wanted to um, talk to you about is, at least here in the U.S., there is a growing segment of the younger population that is looking for low alcohol to no alcohol ones. And for me, obviously, it's unthinkable because I do not see alcohol as a drug. I do not see a bottle of wine as a drug, okay? For me, alcohol, as you mentioned, is part of the product and obviously needs to be within a range, but it's part of the product. I do not, let's say, um, I, I don't have an alcohol problem, obviously, but here in the U.S., people are trying to, to eat healthier, drink healthier. So we in the trade are a little concerned about this, uh, this, this no alcohol wines because, frankly, I do not see, I think it's lacking something. It's lacking, as you said, roundness, it's lacking uh, balance. But, but the younger consumers, they don't have the same training or they don't have the same palate that we have, they are actually looking for those kind of products. So um, one of the questions I have for you is, how, is, how are you as, as a company, as a winery, going to uh, adapt to things like that? Because we will just say, you know what, that's not a segment of the consumer that we, are, that we will pursue. We're not going to try to target that, those consumers. Um, but how is Makulan talking about all these changes, the natural wines, the non-alcohol wines, and things like that? Wow. Are you guys talking um, about it? Are you, are you discussing Not Not really, not really. I mean, we're talking about organic, that's for sure. Um, sometimes we discuss about natural wines, but it's not in our style, it's, uh, I have to say. Uh, a wine without alcohol, for me, is not wine. I agree. So, mm, so I'm sorry. <laughs> it's, it's going to be, I mean, uh, I don't know, grape juice. Uh, it's, uh, I, don't, I don't see... I don't know if that's because I'm Italian and being Italian, I grew up with wine. I mean, not only being born in a winery family, mm-hmm. but as Italians, you perfectly know. And I'm, I'm, I guess so many of the listeners have been to Italy. I mean, it's part of our culture. It's, uh, it, it, I don't know how to explain. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's part of us, of our heritage. Yeah, um, I, I, yeah, I'm totally with you. It's just that here in the U.S., uh, you know, the thing, things can be a little different. And no, no, don't, I mean, of it's course not just I know. Wine, Angela, you know, it's, it's gluten-free pasta, gluten-free pizza. To me, they should not be called pizza or pasta. They should be called something else. But if you take away a key component, okay, of a product, then you should call it something else. So I, I, I can agree on the gluten-free if you have a gluten problem. I mean, like if you're celiac, I don't know how to, you say in English, but I mean, if you, cannot, if you cannot eat uh, gluten, that's... Yeah, uh, that, that, that's not the reason, Andrew. Most, most people are thinking gluten-free as like fat-free or light or healthier or things like that. So I don't know. I don't consider wine, uh, alcohol-free wine... Wine. 
I don't see that, I have to say. But again, we'll see. I mean, I don't think we will get to produce a wine without alcohol. I, but you never know. I mean, it's, <laughs> the market has changed so much, but I don't think I will go that direction um, soon. It's also, it's also true that, uh, fortunately, you are very, very well-rooted uh, locally, in Veneto especially. How much of your production is actually uh, stays in Veneto? It's about one-third. We are very, very strong in the local market. I usually say that out of the 600,000 bottles that we produce, one-third is exported, one-third is sold in Italy, and one-third is sold in Veneto. Well, it's something pretty unusual, I have to say. When I say this to my colleagues, they always stare at me. Uh, but we're very, very strong in the local market. Well, one, one last question, and then I think we should uh, sure. open it to uh, questions. Um, you tr um, before COVID, you have traveled a lot. Um, have you seen uh, major um, differences in, in the way markets react to your wines? Or is Makulan always received pretty much the same way? from New York to Tokyo to Canada to uh, Brazil and things? Wow, that's a very difficult question. <laughs> um, so I can definitely say that we have a pretty big portfolio. We've mentioned, I, I've talked a lot about the, the red wines, uh, um, but we're very, very well-known, renowned for uh, the dessert wines. And we produce four different dessert wines, about 20% of our production are, are sweet wines. Um, so, and we also, of course, have whites. So we have a pretty big, big portfolio with 20 different wines. It's really different. Every single market is a different market. It really depends on uh, the importer and the trend. Um, I don't know. In the U.S., we've always sold a lot of Pinot and Toy, which is a Pinot Grigio, Pinot Bianco, and Tokai Friulano blend. A lot of Brentino, which is the Cabernet Merlot can be considered the entry level. Um, I don't know, let's say UK. UK, they're crazy for our dessert wines. They, they, they buy tons of uh, Dindarello and Torcolato, very few of the other wines. So it really depends on the market. Uh, one thing that I can say that's worldwide in Italy too, of course, is that they recognize the passion that the, of the family of uh, all of us uh, that we put in our in what we do every day that we in our wines because I I think that you can taste and feel the passion and the love for what we do when you drink our wines and again what we said before clean uh, be true to themselves so they really I can say that the, the wines are the perfect mirrors of of us as, as, as a family you know um, so that's something that, uh, that, that people, the people uh, recognize and they, um, they admire in our wines. So can we say that the success of a brand like Makulan over time is, is the ability to um, incorporate in the brand name your own style, um, making small changes if it's needed, but always trying to be true to your own identity. And so there, are, there, is a, there is the personal side of the Maculan family into the wines. It, those are wines that are made by people that believe in those products, that believe in, in doing things in a certain way. And, Absol um, 
Absolutely. I mean, when you do something like that you love, uh, you are ready to, um, you know, to make big, small changes, small adjustments, but you still want that your product is still true to yourself and true to what we, you are. And this is, uh, this is our, these are our wines. So yeah, definitely, I've yes. seen, uh, unfortunately, you know, uh, many producers every now and then they try to intercept trends. And so every, every three months they come up with something new. And uh, the result is that uh, they dilute their identity. They dilute their, their, their values. And uh, at the end of the day, after a few years, uh, no one really knows what this, that producer is really all about. When it comes to you, I think it's way more clear. It's way more defined, mm-hmm. and, uh, and I believe that's that's the secret of uh, of, of being uh, successful over time. Yes, I agree. I can definitely I can see myself and my family and my winery in in your words. So yes, definitely yes. Um, I wanted also to ask. Um, how are you going to? So hopefully um, we will be out of COVID eventually. Um, are you starting to already plan trips uh, around? I, I know you're coming to the U.S. Uh, in a month, but uh, what about the other countries? So I haven't booked my flight yet because I'm still thinking. But yes, I will definitely come. Um, not really. Um, the situation is still very, very unstable, unfortunately. Um, I've just had the news this morning that they canceled a big tasting in Rome for mid-February. Uh, there are rumors that they are postponing Provine. So it's, um, I don't know, the world is still too much unstable for making plans, uh, long-term plans. Uh, by this time of the year, I would usually already had, you know, like a program that February, May, September, October, November, everything, you know. Uh, but uh, not, it, it's not that time yet. I also have to say that um, I had to um, kind of reprogram my life, you know, yeah, <laughs> traveling, uh, traveling 150 days a year, uh, from going from there to zero, not even mm-hmm. moving outside my, my town was not easy at the beginning. Uh, I've always tried to, since the very first day I decided, okay, I want to see also the positive sides of this. And uh, I found a lot, I have to say. I, the, the, the most beautiful thing for me was following day by day. I live in the, I ha, I'm lucky enough to live in the vineyards. So following day by day, the developing and the growing season, it was just amazing. Because, you know, being away for two or three weeks, uh, you, you leave home that the buds are already still closed and then you come home and you have like the 15 centimeters shoot. But yeah. following day by day was just amazing. Um, and then other, other, you know, I definitely have more time for myself, which sometimes uh, in my previous pre-COVID life, I didn't have much. Uh, so I'm really enjoying it. But I, I'm totally sure that as soon as I will be at the airport or on a plane, I will be back to my, my life. <laughs> and I will definitely schedule and uh, and and also really happy to be back on the road again so angela one last because question. this is what i do one other question about the generational passage so you told us that uh, at one point fausto kind of gave you the keys of the sales department mm-hmm. and say well now you're in charge i will step back and uh, call me if there is an issue 
did you do the same with Maria Vittoria for the for the production for the winemaking, or was he a little closer to Maria Vittoria trying to guide her? Because I haven't seen, obviously, as we said, major changes in style. So I guess Maria Vittoria is really following on his steps. Uh, but how did that change happen in the production side? Uh, so it was not as drastic as it was for myself. Um, you know, if I'm in New York, my dad is not is not with me, so I have to decide. Okay, I'm going to present the wine like this and uh, and do this and, uh, and and say that. You know, with the winemaking is different because it's um, it's I don't know the process takes a little longer. Of course, the vineyard managing and everything. The times of uh, the, the different actions are, are longer than a 30-minute appointment with a buyer. <laughs> um, and, of course, uh, my dad is, is here at the winery every day, and he follows step by step. Of course, it's not like, okay, I want to do this, and you have to do this, because, of course, uh, my sister... It's the same for me. If it's a big decision... It's the two of them that they take the big decision. It's the same. Mm-hmm. I, I take with my dad the decision. But mm-hmm. and in the everyday, small little things, uh, we are both uh, on ourselves. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I can take my own decision. My sister can take her own decisions. But, of course, the school, uh, let's, say, let's call it the school. It's our dad's school, you know. Um, yeah. We have our own the path and the rules. It's uh, they, they come from the same, uh, so we are just following. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I wanted to. So there is one. You really don't release many new products very often, Angela, and that's kind of part of the philosophy behind Maculan in being consistent. Uh, but you did release a new uh, product some time ago. I think a couple of years ago. From made from the Vespaiola grape, which is one of the very few native varieties of the area. And I think, I think it's called Valvolpara. And there is a little bit of skin contact in that wine. Uh, how did you come up with that idea? And what was the thought process about making that wine? So Vespaiola, as you mentioned, is the, the only uh, really indigenous grape that we have. And that is really unique to Breganze. And it's uh, traditionally used to make torcolato as a dessert wine. So we dry the grapes to make the torcolato. We also make a cininobili, which is the one you mentioned that changed your life. The one with the botrytis. But of course, we also vinify the grape, the fresh grape to make the Vespaiolo. So just to explain a little bit about this grape variety, it's a white grape with a very bright acidity. Um, a few years ago, we purchased this property when we, fi- we found some old vines of Vespaiola. So we had the, our genetical uh, material, I don't know how to explain, but I mean, reproduced uh, in the greenhouse. So we planted our own clone of Vespaiola. Vespaiola is a, is a white grape. It's a beautiful bouquet, rich, a lot of white flowers, white fruits. And in the mouth, the acidity is what it's, uh, it's the, the main thing, you know. It really explodes in the mouth. But it's not, it doesn't have a big, uh, big structure. It's not a full body white. So we decided to try to do something different with this, our own clone of Vespaiolo. So we pick the grape, we dry a little bit for just a couple of weeks to have a little more concentration, and then we do five days of skin contact. We do this in order to have a bigger body, 
and more structure and to extract all the beautiful aromas that the Vespaiola has. Uh, because we really believe in this grape and we would like to not focus, but I mean to uh, we to have a bigger wine with more longevity and more structure. Because Vespaiolo here is a very easy drinking, refreshing, which is amazing. But we also wanted to challenge ourselves in a more uh, in a more complex uh, Vespaiolo, and that's the Valvolpara. Valvolpara is the name of the vineyard, as many of the name of our wines is the um, many of the name of our wines comes from the original vineyard where the grape is from. It's a small production. It's only not even a thousand bottles, uh, but it's something that we, and we believe this way of making the Vespaiola can really age for long, uh, long, many, many years. I think it's a great example of what we just said about, you know, making small adjustments, uh, small new things without really losing your identity and uh, keeping uh, uh, consistency in your values. That's great. Absolutely. Siri, um, uh, I'm, I'm pretty much done with the, with the questions. Um, I mean, uh, Angela and I can talk for hours, so we can... Uh... Okay, then. That, then hold on one second. There you go. That was Thank great. you. <laughs> you know, Woo! because I'm sure they'll be clapping, you know, the audience, but, you know, you can't hear them. So we do a little cheering for, for our speakers. That, that was wonderful. Thank you very much. I know the traveling bit, I can completely relate with you, Angela. It's, I don't know how much, Giuseppe, have you been traveling a lot? No, not at, at all. I was supposed side, to be right? uh, yeah. very, very little, very, very little. Yeah. I was supposed to be in Las Vegas last week and I canceled. I did it over Zoom. But next week, we will have the uh, Slow Wine in San Francisco, and I will have uh, five producers. I mean, I have five tables. No one is coming from Italy, obviously. And then yeah, I will fly so to Seattle um, on Tuesday. Yeah, but it's very... Yeah, I'm not going to do long flights uh, until uh, April, so I'll be... I'll be uh, but you'll be coming uh, to Vinitaly, I hope. Yes, absolutely, yes. Yeah. All right. So thank you very much for that. I just want to remind, we are out of time right now, but before closing, I want to remind everyone that next week we will be back with Rob Mella and Diego Corradi, again, Veneto next week. The week after that, we have Marsha Ham from Canada with Lorenzo Marotti Campi. And 10th of February, we have Stefan Metzner with Clemens Lageda. And then on the 17th, we have Julianne Farker with Amanda Courtney. And the 24th of February, actually it's my birthday, Ashley Howell with Pierluca Proietti of Abianova. So we are, and it goes on and on, the entire schedule. Um, like us doing a great job scheduling all of you here. And remember, please remember that all of our conversation will be replayed on the Italian Wine podcast. Uh, last week I was saying like, you know, it was it's very exciting because we had more than a million listens last year, which is very, very significant obviously mostly from the Anglophiles, but we are getting some traction with the Italian um, audience as well. So we're very excited about that. And we will be doubling down with our podcasts in 2022. So hoping to see some of you at Vinitaly if you can. If any of you would like to participate in the Bios program, please reach out to our team. And 
then we'll see you next week. Thank you so much. Ciao ragazzi. Grazie Stevie. Thank Grazie. you. Ciao, Ciao Angela. Ciao. See you at Vinitaly and Opera Wine. Yes, Ciao. absolutely. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Listen to the Italian Wine Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We're on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Himalaya FM, and more. Don't forget to subscribe and rate the show. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through italianwinepodcast.com. Any amount helps cover equipment, production, and publication costs. Until next time, chin chin. I'm Joy Livingston and I am the producer of the Italian Wine Podcast. Thank you for listening. We are the only wine podcast that has been doing a daily show since the pandemic began. This is a labor of love and we are committed to bringing you free content every day. Of course, this takes time and effort, not to mention the cost of equipment, production and editing. We would be grateful for your donations, suggestions, requests and ideas. For more information on how to get in touch, go to Italian Wine Podcast.